The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee Six. And today, we're going to talk about defending the criminal client with immigration issues. Because this has become like this widespread issue lately. And I see a lot of defense lawyers actually committing malpractice in this genre. Let's take from the top. When you have a criminal defendant that you are representing, one of the first questions you have to ask is, do they have immigration issues? It is far easier to defend somebody who's American citizen as opposed to somebody who's not. Because sometimes when you plea somebody out, if it's going to be a plea deal, you could win the battle and lose the war. And what I mean by that is the following. Hypothetically, if you get somebody to deal of a lifetime, but it gets them deported, did you do a job or did you commit malpractice? Let's break that down. This is where city prosecutions have become extremely dangerous of late. Because normally when you think of city prosecutions, you're thinking to yourself, it's usually a light-end misdemeanor. And that could be right, but for somebody with immigration issues, that could change the whole genre. Let's break it down. When you have somebody who is not an American citizen, there's really a six-step process you have to go through. Let's go through those steps. Let's talk about how city prosecutions have become dangerous. And let's talk about no contest, please. Let's analyze that. Okay, number one. Look at the charge. Some charges will speak for themselves. If somebody's being charged with homicide or a CSC, I mean, it's common sense that there's going to be not only prison concepts but there's also going to be immigration concepts in play but it gets a little deeper than that something like felonious assault sounds a lot worse than it is felonious assault in michigan is a four-year felony and generally it's probationary guidelines so you're not thinking it's a huge deal but a felonious assault could lead to deportation so after you see the start the charge actually go to the statute on point When you go to the statute on point, this is where you start running into your immigration issues. This is where you start digging into it deep. You have to ask yourself after you see the statute, do we have a crime of moral turpitude? Now a crime of moral turpitude, that is not as simple as you might think. Generally a crime of moral turpitude refers to crimes that shock the conscience. The problem when you have this dynamic with immigration and criminal law, the big problem you have, guys, is every county is going to view that concept different than the agent that could be looking at deportation issues. They could also put a third view on it. Sure, this weird shade of gray. First step, though, is it a crime moral turpitude? If it is, you know there's deportation concepts involved, and you know this is a case you have to take to trial. You can't plea that out. It's either going to be a dismissal, a not guilty verdict, or your client is going to get sent out of the country. So watch your back on that. Next, you got to ask yourself, is it a crime that's an aggravated felony? This is real deception. We're talking about aggravated felonies. Let's break that apart. Because you're thinking aggravated felony, you're thinking of assaultive behavior. you got to watch out for RICO charges and stuff, because sometimes drug cases can be deemed aggravated felonies. And while it may lead to a probation sentence, an aggravated felony could also get your defendant deported. Next, you look at other grounds. When we say other grounds, understand this. There's this catch-all. When I say there's this catch-all... That's where things get really dangerous. You start with the premise, do we have a crime of moral turpitude? 
I don't see that. So let me move on. Do I have the aggravated felony? Good to go. If it's either of those two, right? Then there's this, what I like to call a slider using the baseball analogy. The other grounds of being deported means that even if it was not one of those first two concepts, an agent for deportation could still say this is going to trigger it. So what you have to do at that point is look at the case law. The problem with the case law is this. And hone in on this part. This is where things get really sensitive. The case law prior to like 2016, it may be a case on point for what you're studying, but the immigration laws have transferred and changed so much that sometimes it will not give you the perfect analysis. Here's what that means. Going back to our law school days, right? If you saw a green on a case on Westlaw, you're thinking that's good law. You could have a green on the flag and it could still fall into this trap because the law has changed so much. You have to study published cases and non-published cases. So when you're taking an immigration case, or I should say a defense case that has immigration consequences, your cheat sheet goes like this. What's a charge? What's a statute? Is it a crime of moral turpitude? If not, it's an aggravated felony. If not, it's a phone to the other area. And is there a case on point? Let's get deeper with that. Because city prosecutions have become highly dangerous. Now, when you think of city prosecutions, you're normally thinking this is your run-the-mill misdemeanor. And your run-the-mill misdemeanor does not have great consequence for the American citizen. However, it sure can for somebody who's not here as a naturalized citizen. Example, this is the OUIL. When you think of an OUIL, it's a drinking and driving case, right? Pretty standard. At least your first one is. Careful in Oakland County. That's a story for another time, but the average American that gets their first OUIL is probably not going to go to jail if things are handled properly. But if you're not an American citizen, it can get you deported. Example of a case. Guy blows a .22. That's the high back. So the penalties get more severe for a high back as opposed to your normal drinking and driving. And your agenda there, if you can't win the case at trial, would be can I somehow get it down to an impaired driving? And you want the impaired driving because the impaired driving will generally keep your guy out of jail and also keep them on the road. However, you could protect their driver's license and protect them from jail and still get them deported. So when somebody has an immigration situation and it's a simple drinking and driving case, you may have to take that to trial not to commit malpractice. City prosecutors usually have like a scheme and a formula. We go from this charge to that charge. The problem with the city prosecution when somebody is not an American citizen is that the city prosecutor is in the public sector and may not be connected to the dangers of deportation. A state prosecutor is usually more in tune with that. So while it's normally easier to deal with a city prosecutor and a state prosecutor, when you have somebody with immigration issues, the city prosecution can be a major red herring that could hurt your client. Another thing you want to do if you're in that plea stage, and this is really what I call the danger zone, okay? Beware of guilty pleas, even to low-end misdemeanors. You want to try to justify a no contest plea. Now, normally, when there's a no contest plea, what you're saying is, okay, I'm not contesting the charge, but I'm not admitting guilt. There's some benefits to that, but you got to go a step further. If we have a no contest plea, we have to be wary of the factual basis attached to no contest plea. Traditionally, and Let's be careful with that word, okay? Traditionally, 
A no contest plea means the people, meaning the prosecutor and defense counsel, will just present the police report to the judge. The judge, he or she will read that report, say I find the contents, the elements valid for a no contest plea. You got to go a step further as defense counsel today. If you just put the police report into the factual basis, that will be provided to the immigration officials. And there, you can actually hurt yourself for major failure. You gotta watch that situation. Because a no contest plea seems like a win. But if you didn't actually create the factual basis, get it approved by both the prosecutor and the judge, a no contest plea could actually be worse than a guilty plea in certain situations. When I think about immigration and criminal lawyers you gotta watch it because it does go hand in hand just like probate and crim could go hand in hand at times best immigration lawyers i've seen out there you got brad thompson he's excellent like i've have him in our building um brad and i always refer cases back and forth to each other mike chavez who i know from cooley is an excellent immigration lawyer but you need an immigration lawyer on the horn they need to contact you for the criminal aspect. You need to contact them for the immigration aspect. We're usually masters in one field and not both. It's good to have immigration knowledge as a defense lawyer. Just like it's good to have defense knowledge as an immigration lawyer, but you need to have that ebb and flow going back and forth. I think Brad and Mike can put them up against anybody. As far as defense lawyers... I've been in the trenches with Ravi Guru Murphy, I've been in the trenches with Megan Smith, and Scott Grable's told us all an amazing amount of knowledge on this. One of the things that Scott taught me back in 2017 when everything started was prepare to always try a case when there's an immigration consequence involved. You are better off losing at a trial on a bad case than taking a plea which on its face looks beneficial if it leads to the immigration triggers. You gotta watch that. You know, you should always plan to win any trial anyway, but I'm telling you that risks are greater when it's not an American citizen you're representing. It's one of the reasons why I think Doug Corwin will be such a great probate judge. Probate matters. I'm talking about juvenile cases, I'm talking about CPS cases. They have a criminal flair to them. They're almost like companion cases. And sometimes you're dealing with a criminal case and a probate case going hand in hand. People don't realize is in the probate matter, the factual basis and the transcripts established there can also lead to deportation issues. Someone like Doug Corwin, who is one of the best criminal lawyers in the state, is going to understand when he's a judge that the immigration consequences are a layer of things that need to be played out in probate court. We can't have judges or prosecutors just going through the motions and we cannot have defense lawyers just pushing paper. When you have a defendant with immigration consequences, the stakes become higher. You need to do two times the work. You need to dig in. Think about it, guys. Charge statute crime and moral turpitude do we have an aggravated felony do we fall into the catch-all is there a case on point beware of city prosecutions watch your no contest please prepare for trial if you had to take a crash course on defending somebody who has immigration consequences that's what i would need you to take that's what we need to do to bang these things out. And if we don't, we're doing our clients a disservice. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. And um, live audience is here. Thank you for taking the pressure off me. You're welcome. You say I owe you money. Yes. All right. So the live audience 
let me explain how the live audience is owed money. We have a we have a relationship that we established here, right? So if somebody calls up with a case, let's say it's a Lenaway CSC, if he knows the county and the name, he deserves some money from the case. Sometimes he'll open the door for a client coming in, which I tell you, you take the hell of pressure off me, man. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. He's here. No problem. You guys can hear him, right? I'm weird today. Weirder. It's okay. I'm tired. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, guys, to see my zits um, dropping, that means motion writing's almost done. Do you realize that I get acne when I'm writing heavy motions? That's so weird, right? Oh, God. When people are starting to chime in now, like, they really like this. So, day in the life. Let's talk about today. That'd be cool? Yes. You've heard some of these things, but you'd hear the whole thing come together. Yeah, I get, I get. So I appreciate even though you were kind of part of it, you're also the audience. Thank you. Today was going to be weird. I do some traveling and had to take Max to OT and um, I had all sorts of moving things. And I got all this busy work going on. and So I decided I was going to go to the gym this morning. There's nothing unusual about that. No. Here's what's different. I didn't go to 3-in-1 Fitness. Mm -hmm. And I love 3-in-1 Fitness, right? It's my place. But I want to try the uh, Planet Fitness and Celine. And, you know, when you go to a new gym sometimes, weird things happen. Especially when you're kind of known in the county. And people who are there at 6.30 in the morning want to talk crim law with you. So, I mean, I'm given every visual clue to leave me alone, right? I mean, I got my earphones on, heads down. I'm going to the weights, leave me alone. And that's when that Facebook comment came up earlier. You saw that one or not? No, I didn't. Okay. So there's a group of lawyers by the kettlebells. And the lawyers were interesting. You know, there's like two women that um, they're not supposed to like you, but they're checking you out, but they talk shit. There's a couple guys that are insecure. There's this one guy who's real arrogant. You know, the, the Washington crew. And they're talking about 80s music. And the conversation got really weird. And I said, without thinking of all the women in the world... Why did Rick have to go after Jesse's girl? And they are spitting their water out. Jesse's girl from Rick Springfield. It was a play on that. Okay. Then I got the hell out of there, right? I went to go curl because, like George Costanza said, that's it for me. I'm out of here. I was fine. I go take a shower. Um, very strange. I never understood in the shower in a gym. And I understand. You're in a locker room, right? cool but I put a towel on to go into the shower and get a bunch of people look at me like I'm strange I mean these guys just like walk around naked in the shower I never understood it like this is like their moment to shine I'm I guess I'm a little bashful in that regard I put the towel on right and I go into one of the showers and like I don't know what's going on but I mean I got my towel I took my phone I always take the phone into the showers I'm paranoid off like the locker won't work, yeah. and then what will happen then? I'll be stuck there in my underwear. I had like a nightmare about that once. And um, just all these strange looks. I'm getting strange looks from naked men in the gym at Planet Fitness because I have a towel on. Who's the weird one? Yeah, I know. All right. I stopped by a district court. Just had to do a PCC. And God forbid they do that on Zoom, right? Yeah. So I go to this district court, and this judge is like yelling at me, Mr. Amudio! <laughs> yes, sir. Do it, is it Amudio? And I'm like, uh, well, it's fine. I don't know. And he, he he's in love with saying my name. It's Amadeo or Amadeo, who gives a shit, right? But this guy was into the Amudio name, and he just kept, and he's like hanging on it. And, um, yeah. So that happened, and after court, they do something weird out there. We have to go pick up your discovery at the police station. And this one stuff got really weird. So I go to this police station. And there's nobody at this police station, right? And I got my discovery order with me. at my bar card. And I pushed the buzzer. Nobody's there. 
Now I'm thinking to myself, I got our shit to do, right? Yeah. So I don't want to have to come back and get this discovered. I want to do it today. So I go to the bathroom. And, you know, today was a day of doing what I think is normal things. Mm-hmm. Like going to a bathroom, or wearing a towel in a locker room. And for some reason, everything's been going wrong. I don't know. So I go to the bathroom. Perfectly natural thing to do. I come back. Ring the bell again. Then this officer comes out. He goes, Yes? Hi, officer. How are you? Um, I have this discovery order. I need to pick up some discovery. A body cam. And he's staring me down. Like, how dare I ask this? And he says to me, Sir, did you just use the bathroom? I did. <laughs> what? He goes, you bastard. And I'm confused. I look at this guy. I'm a bastard because I used the bathroom? So I don't know what to say in this situation. And I say to him, no, my father signed the birth certificate. That's what they had to do in New Jersey back then when you knocked out good-looking teenagers. <laughs> and we just have this look going back and forth, right? And he looks confused. Now, my mother was a teenager. Never mind. I just need this discovery order. And I don't know why he called me a bastard. Because how do I know you're really a disguised lawyer? So I say to him, I don't know. Would somebody pretend to be a lawyer with a driver's license and bar card (laughs) at 9.15 in the morning to steal discovery from you, sir? And he stares at me. We just look at each other. Our eyes are locked. Let me tell you something. At this point, I'm not leaving without my goddamn discovery. I'll be back. He makes a copy of my license, my bar card. And he pulls up the discovery. Just this jump drive, right? I hear him talk to one of the officers in the back. Do we charge this son of a bitch for this? And, um, he throws my bar card through the, like, little window. He hands me the discovery. I said, hey, be careful with that. If I did that to your car, it'd be a felony, right? And he just, we just stare at each other and, all right, we just get the hell out of here. Probably should be talking shit to cops in the foreign police station, but whatever. It was really weird. Like, he's mad at me for picking up discovery and urinating in the bathroom. Planet Fitness, they're infatuated with my 80s comment, but the guys are pissed off I got a shower on, a towel on in the shower. I don't know. Things are just getting weird. But I'm in the Lansing area at this point, so what are we going to do in the Lansing area? You know what's coming, right? I think so. We're going to find a baseball card shop. Yeah. All right. Because as you know, our firm has been collecting cards heavily, and the plan is to flip it into a property. And I've, every county I go to, I stop at baseball card shops. And i got to tell you something. Some of these places, when you go into a baseball card shop with a suit and tie on in the early morning, yeah. that's a weird look. Yeah. Something, do I scruff it up a little bit? Should I put a pencil in my ear? I don't know. But I go in there. And this guy at the baseball card shop, he's got all this Pokemon stuff, right? Pokemon and comics. And the store said baseball cards. I looked them up on Google. Supposed to be some 80s cards there. So I said, Sir, where are your baseball cards at? Because are you with the authorities? <laughs> no. No. Jeez. Well, I got baseball cards back there. May I see them? <laughs> Why do you want to see them for? Well, I have cash, and maybe I'll buy some. All right. Come on. Let's go back there. So I said, okay, um, 84 flare, and I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that. It's like, you know, goddamn wife was cheating on me. Now I'm selling these Pokemon cards, and this guy's just letting it rip. Meanwhile, I'm like Googling and trying to figure out if it's a PSA 9 Reggie Jackson there, and yeah. we're having, and he's not shutting up, and I'm just locked into my phone. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I, I, so that sounds rough, man, I don't know what to tell you. So I ended up buying a bunch of stuff there, paid for in cash. I made him an offer. And um, he says, do you have your business card? And I'm like, well, no. I said, for the baseball card? Sure, I'll give you the card. He goes, well, I might need a good criminal lawyer one day. So how would you know I was a criminal lawyer? Well, I know who you are. That's why I told you my story. But your story was about family law. And you didn't want to show me the baseball cards. 
I don't know what's going on here, but I mean, we did have some good finds. So now, after I leave the Lansing Baseball Card Shop, I take my son to OT with one of the doulas. And let me tell you, Maxi, amazing kid, but he's got, he's letting you know who the boss is, right? He was not in the mood for that shit today. Yeah, yeah, and he's laying them out there, and he's like, no, I don't want to do this. So I'm on the ground with him, and I'm, you know, tickling him, and he's pulling my finger, and we're hanging out on the ground, and Max just makes the day better. But after I'm done with the OT with Maxie, I'm driving back to the office, and Grable calls me. And we're talking about this murder case. And we're talking about the witnesses we got a question at the prelim, and we're doing this, we're doing that. And here's these two supposed great legal minds talking on the phone. And I, I swear, dude, if anybody ever heard my conversations on the phone, I'd be done. I mean, they, they'd be convinced I'm crazy. So Scott says, and Scott, if you're listening, because all right, I got a confession to make. What you got? I'm eating red meat again, but only grass-fed, you son of a bitch. I'm like, okay. Scott has a problem when we go out and I eat steak. So Scott's big confession today was that he's eating red meat again. Scott, welcome back, bro. I get back to the office. And I got an intake. I didn't have one on the docket, but this person just shows up. You know that goes, right? <laughs> so the live audience was born, man. So this intake's in the office. And like, we've been waiting for you for 20 minutes. I'm looking, who are you? Well, we got here 20 minutes ago. All right. Who are you looking for? Go on a day. We know who you are. Cool. Well, let me um put my baseball cards in the storage unit. Let's talk. So they're going on and on. It was more like a therapy session, right? Whatever. And they tell me who referred them. And this is a good story. I had a client who had a very serious charge. And I'm really green back then, right? And I won this case. It was my first big wins. And this person, we became very close in their mind. I, I'm not against them, but they call me a while. Tonight. You know me, I answer, hey, hey, hold up. Well, their cousin died. And it was during COVID. And they call me, and they're very upset. And they're like, hey, my cousin died, and I'm really having a bad time with it. Like, well, hey, you know what? Let's talk about it. So the guy says to me, will you come to the funeral? Yeah. I'll, I'll make the trip. I'll come to the funeral. Did you ever see the Paul Bear with David Schwimmer? No. Okay, wait for this. Because this is a Facebook Live in and of itself. I'll give the cliff note version here. I go to this funeral. And we're sitting down at the church. And my client, who is the cousin of the deceased party, gets up to the podium at the church. And they say, hey, we have a very special speaker that's going to depart us with some words today. And this person, many of you know them, they have drove a long distance to get here. And I'm thinking, oh shit, who's here? Bill Amadeo, would you please come up and say a few words? <laughs> what? So, what do you do when you're asked to speak at a funeral for somebody you don't know? And if you, saw, if you saw the pole bearer with David Schwimmer, right? Who is Bill Happy? The chess club. So, I don't know what to say. But, uh, you know, I got there early and I'm listening to some people. And the guy was a Mets fan and he enjoyed the 86 Mets. So I want to run with this, right? Hey, hi everyone. Um, I'm Bill Amadeo. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I could say about this man, but you know, during these times of stress, 
I think it's the little things we remember. There's one thing about Craig is he loved the 86 Mets. Now, lucky for me, being a failed baseball player, having baseball knowledge, I know a lot about the 86 Mets, right? And who could forget Dwight Gooden missing the parade because he was smoking crack? And I think we all learn a lot from that. And people are like, oh, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. Thank you for saying what needs to be said. <laughs> So anyway, this client referred this person who came in 20 minutes early today. I don't know. So then it was time for misdemeanor prep, and that's when you were making fun of me. You were. Matt, Matt was too. You both were making fun of me. Got a misdemeanor trial coming up. Don't ask, right? And I'm studying these tapes. And the live audience and Matt are staring at me as I'm taking notes and time scripting these things. It's a lot of work for a misdemeanor. Thank you, guys. And then, towards the end of the day, and it's been a weird day, right? You're running around, you're traveling, reliving the funeral... An old friend from Jersey sends me a link. And this link made me think. It was a link to Taking Back Sunday's demo in 2001. It's on YouTube. I'll post it. But, you know, in Jersey... One of the things I'm learning as we get older... Is our hometown is a part of us. Right? I mean, no matter how we slice it, it's part of us. It's in us. And something about Taking Back Sunday in 2001 really hits home for me. When you think of Jersey music, and you know, everybody goes to Bruce Springsteen, then you have your R&B fans, there was something special about Taking Back Sunday before they made it big. And I don't think they ever made it as big as they should have. But in this demo, the lead singer from Brand New and Taking Back Sunday are together. They were both in the North Jersey area. And the lead singer from Brand New was actually singing backup. And there's two songs on that demo that just really, you know, like stake in the heart, man. Go On and Summer Stars. And you thought back to when things were different. And the person who sent me this link, we're cool, but we're not what we were. Life takes you in some weird U-turns, guys. It's a roller coaster ride, and sometimes you gotta jump off that roller coaster just to survive. But it's dangerous jumping off. Think about it. And this person, we get into this conversation about how Brand New and Taking Back Sunday were united, and then the two lead singers got into it because they both liked the same girl. Ironically, neither one of them was the girl today, but you know how that goes, right? And it made me think, sometimes the pettiness from our youth can destroy really valuable relationships as we're adults. Sometimes you just can't get over the past. It's a bitch sometimes, man. You know? But when you hear that song, if you hear that demo, before they had money, before they were a household name, before everything went down, it's just these young kids screaming their lungs out, playing their hearts out, and they're hoping it's going to lead somewhere. You don't know. It made me think back to the mock trial days and the community college days, not getting into law school. And it's weird how songs from that time period could really just bring you to a different place. And in a day like this, court to court, traveling, kids at the doctors, talking from murder cases to misdemeanors, today had a little bit of it all, right? Really think about it. The ultimate first degree murder discussion where Scott 
confesses about eating red meat again. Mm-hmm. And then the bullshit little misdemeanor case. And thinking back to Taking Back Sunday in 2001 made you think this whole thing is a game. Just one big roller coaster. And I thought it was powerful. Alright. Well, I don't know if the live audience was feeling me right there or laughing at me. Or both. Both. Were you in the middle? Alright. Alright, good. Good. Do you like the funeral part? Everything. That The funeral part will be its own live at some point. Right. I just... Yeah. But, but we'll get into that, man. But, whew, 86 mats. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Let's give a big shout out to my close friend, Joe Abera. Happy birthday, Joe. One of my best friends in the world. You guys know the flat tire incident that was captured on Facebook Live, but there's so many more great things about Joe Abera, who I hope one day is the sheriff in Shiawassee. Um, he's a great guy, close confidant. <laughs> I tell Joe things I don't tell many other people. We have a very close-knit relationship. It's like a voice of reason at times. And, yeah. While the personalities are different, let me just tell you, he... He gets me. Happy birthday, friend. He gets me. I look to him for a lot of advice on things. And he's very level-headed, even though we don't always see things in the criminal justice system the same. Sometimes you'll see Joe popping shit about getting criminals off, and I'm telling him how constitutional rights are violated. Um, Great legal mind. He knows law enforcement well. Somebody I truly look up to. Happy birthday, my friend. I'm looking forward to SummerSlam. Let's kick it back to August of 2003. To August of 2004. That was my last year in Atlantic City. Um, <laughs> thank you, Grable Associates, for your commentary. And let me tell you something, Mr. Grable. Earlier you were mocking me saying, is this going to pump game six of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals? Now it's not. Last year in Jersey was kind of strange. And you never get to that point in life when, like, you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. You want to accomplish something, and no matter how hard you try, you just can't make it work. You're trying to put that square peg in the round hole, and it's frustrating as hell. That's how I felt the last year in Jersey. You want to be in law school so bad, and you're working in the casino. And, you know, many people in the casino... And I've learned a lot from, dearest Jerry Dowdy, may he rest in peace. There's so many great people. Jim Souter was a Facebook friend. But there were so many pure assholes that were truly rooting for me not to get into law school. And in that interval, when you couldn't break the barrier and, you know, was dyslexia, couldn't see the LSAT straight. Because once I could see things straight, boy, I'd become an arrogant prick. But <laughs> that being said... You're, like, battling this LSAT. And the LSAT was life. To get into law school, you have to take the LSAT. And I've told people this before. You graduate college to take the LSAT. You get the LSAT score to get into law school. You get the grades in law school to pass the bar, to practice for the bar. You pass the bar to practice in the real world. And none of these have anything to do with one another. And the LSAT was this one brutal hurdle. I just sucked at it. And we learned later, having dyslexia and taking the LSAT, it is just horrible. And my score finally got to that 150 mark, which is like the middle mark. And finally some schools were taking me. And I decided I was going to go to Michigan. It was between Rutgers and Cooley. And Rutgers, that's a long story. That's been a log in and of itself. But I'm going to go to Cooley. And, you know, when you decide to leave your comfort zone. And this is where I want people to really hone in on this. Leaving your comfort zone is a dangerous thing, guys. 
very dangerous. Do I take a shot at that job, that relationship, whatever it is, but the comfort zone is like this vortex that traps people. And I was in a comfort zone. And you could be in a comfort zone and be completely miserable. Let me elaborate on that. I'm working in the casino. I'm working out a lot on boxing. I'm writing on the side. I'm taking the LSAT. And in the casino, you're making decent money for the time and the circumstance. And I had a condo, and I was helping out Aunt Mary and Mom with bills. And, you know, you had your fans, your social clique, your this, your that. And the routine. The routine to me is one of the most dangerous things in the world. You became a part of this routine. And whether or not we believe it, we all become products of learned behavior, right? It just, it is what it is. And I remember one day I'm in the bar, some bartending, and I said to myself, if I buy one property a year for the next 20 years, I'll have X amount of dollars. Then I said to myself, holy shit, I just mapped out a plan where I'm going to be bartending the next 20 years. I think bartending is a noble profession. Some of my best friends are bartenders and cocktail waitresses back home, but I'm just going to tell you, for me, it was the third layer of hell. You want to be in law school, and you can't get in. And it's like a dream that's just going to collapse now. You know, that's where you're at with it. You become part of the routine. You embrace the routine. You date certain women. You hang out with certain people. You go to the gym certain times. You shoot hoops. You study for the LSAT. You pick up overtime at work. But it became like the Stepford Wives in some way. And I decide the one place I know that if I decide to leave would be Michigan. Cooley took me. And, you know, I'm wearing a Cooley jersey today, whatever. All the things I can say about Cooley, there's a lot of things I've said and will say in the future. But they did take a shot on me. And I appreciate that. They did it for $150,000 in financial aid money, but they did take a shot. And the thing about Jersey, I'm going to explain some Jerseyisms today. Jersey has a way of crushing dreams. To leave Jersey for Michigan was a risky move. And here's why. If you fail out of law school, you don't have your seniority number anymore. You're gambling on everything, everything you've accumulated, that pattern, that routine. You're putting it all on black, right? You hope it doesn't come out red or green. Roulette term. And during this time, this crisis, this moment, because I knew if I didn't leave then, I was never going to leave. During this crisis, what do you do? You turn to people who you look up to. You turn to people that are going to give you guidance. And that's a mistake sometimes. The first person I went to was Father Sullivan. Now, Father Sullivan has been well documented in my blogs and writings. And at the time, Father Sullivan was a hero to me. And I said to him, hey, what do you think about me going to Michigan? and going out to law school. As I was buying him a steak dinner and he's drinking a Bloody Mary and he laughs, he goes, well, you're making a nice living as a bartender. He goes, there's no shame in not being able to accomplish your dreams. You couldn't make it as a baseball player. You probably can't make it as a lawyer, but you're a fine bartender. So just accept who you are and embrace it. Okay. Sorry, I hope you embrace who you are, but we'll, we'll leave that another time. I go to Aunt Mare, who raised me. And Aunt Mare wants me to go for it. But Aunt Mare and Mom are also scared about me leaving. And I don't know in August of 2004 that Mom is less than three years away from death. She kind of hid her cancer from me. And I got this condo. And the condo, boy, if, if those condo walls could talk, the condo saw a lot of things. 
the condo is like my fortress of solitude, if you would. I got this nice little condo on the beach. It paid off. Worked hard for that little condo. And I'm thinking if I make this move to Michigan, I gotta make sure Aunt Mary and Mom are financially secure. So one of the ideas I had was the condo went up in value. If I sell the condo, I can pay off Aunt Mary and Mom's home in Ventnor. And even though I'm not gonna be able to financially contribute like I was, they're not working there, they'll have no mortgage anymore. That was the play. So I start looking to real estate and selling my condo. And you know, you're frustrated. Because do I go to Michigan? What is Michigan? I'm a Jersey kid, right? Jersey's all I ever knew. And what I've learned in life is when people only know a certain area, they believe that's the world. And let me just tell you, as somebody who's well-traveled now, as somebody who's practiced law in Jersey and Michigan and California, been everywhere at this point, life is about risk. But you couldn't tell that to me in 2003, 2004, because you didn't know. Guys, we fear the unknown. Even the unknown can make our life better. We're terrified of it. People are more terrified of change than death. Think about that. And Michigan was going to be the ultimate change for me. And I'm a ballsy kid, right? I mean, I've always had balls. And I'm boxing, and I'm lifting, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and you start realizing certain people you think are your friends are really rooting against you. One person, I won't mention because they're deceased now, and it ended on horrible terms, did everything in their power not to have me go to law school. I could tell you games that were played at Local 54 and certain aspects of things, but at the end of the day, and guys, I want you to really think about this. Something my Uncle Sam taught me. Because I try to be one of these five people. At the end of the day, if you have five people who truly give a shit about you, five people who are willing to sacrifice their own happiness for your betterment, five people who really want what's best for you, you are a very lucky person. You will have friends, you have acquaintances, you will have a spouse, you will have different relationships, you will have this, you will have that, but at the end of the day, you want to gamble on yourself. If you have five people who truly have your best interest in mind, you're extremely lucky. Because most people, they may be happy for you on a certain level, but many people that are in our inner circle do not want to see us succeed. I always talk about how the inner circle evolves throughout time. I'm very grateful for the inner circle I have today. But I will tell you, it was not always that productive. It was weird. Because you kind of gave up on this law school thing. And you turn to friends. And then, when you turn these friends, you start realizing people you went to school with have now become more successful than you. And one of the most painful lessons I had is when people I went to high school with were coming to my bar. And I'm bartending. And they're bringing in their girlfriends or their boyfriends and they're getting drinks and you're the bartender. And there's this little arrogant laugh. <laughs> no? I have a martini, Bill, thanks. And part of you just loses your shit. You don't understand you got dyslexia. They don't understand you're supporting your aunt and mom. They don't understand this master plan you had to sell your condo to make sure they were cool before you hold ass and did you. They don't get all that. They're enjoying their drinks and their little lives. I'm thinking they're better than you. And relationships are so weird. And I'm going to explain relationships in Jersey for a minute. At least 2004. 
Because when I finally decided it was time to go, it was time to roll. I hid things. I start realizing when I was turning to people for advice that I had to keep stuff close to the vest. You learned, as so many of us learn in Jersey, the danger of being vulnerable. You learn about how your dreams are your dreams and not the other person's. And dating in New Jersey at that time, it was kind of like your dreams in a way, you know? You've had your relationships, right? I get it. But in the casino industry, when you were dating someone, it was best to keep things quiet. You kept it close to the vest. And they did too. You kept it close to the vest for a few reasons. I think many times the casino, especially growing up as a kid in the casino, we learned lessons we didn't need to learn. We learned about compromise, and you learned about heartache, you learned about not being real, you learned how to fake things, you learned how to get people by putting on a persona. You learned more behind the bar than you ever learned studying for a bar exam. And I've said that before, and I mean that, and that's a statement that Scott Zolber taught me, and he was right. And there was a girl. And she was into me and one other guy. And it was an exclusive relationship. But he was a lawyer. Go figure. And I was a bartender. And I think she liked me more than him. But we broke things down. She was very analytical. And she explained to me how he was more successful than me and this was going to be a better path for her future there's going to be more financial stability there was going to be this there was going to be that and while i had these dreams of being a lawyer i was a gamble and he was a short thing. and i got it i understood it and him and i were cool you know we kind of knew each other playing ball as kids and stuff we grew up in different neighborhoods obviously he really ran that lawyer card and played it. He wanted her. She was a pretty girl. He played whatever angle he had to play. I remember thinking to myself, well, she's not the one anyway. But to lose a relationship because I was a bartender and he was a lawyer, it kind of made you look at things differently. And you start realizing... People are going to like you for different reasons. I always feel like the people that liked me in 2003 in some ways carry value to today because it's easy to be my friend today, right? I mean, him and her end up together. And I'm a much more successful lawyer than he is today. At the time, it was like two prospects in the baseball team, right? He was something special, and I was a question mark. And I guess if somebody wanted me because of my talent, it's probably not the person you want to be with. But then today, as you move evolve into relationships and friendships and this and that, you wonder, like, who wants to be your friend because of your talent level and who just really wants to get to know you. And that's one of the things I will give major props to Joe Abera to, because he's seen me at my worst, and that's just a friend. There's some other people that, you know, it's easy to be my friend because I bring a lot of things to the table. But you wonder if you lost all that, where would you be? And that was a big thing I learned that last year in Jersey. It's like, huh, okay. The lessons in life were... That substance should always override image. But if you don't have that image, people may never get to know the substance. And then when you're portraying this image, you compromise the substance. And you don't want all this to be shown. And you're playing this game of poker. 
in that last few months in Jersey, poker became such a dynamic thing for me. I'd work 50, 60 hours in the casino, and then I would go play poker, poker, poker. And one reason I was playing so much poker, I was never a great poker player, but I became pretty good for a while, because I realized going from Atlantic City to Michigan was going to be one big poker game. And I looked at the poker experience as not just a game of chance. I knew as I was playing poker that last year heavily and somewhat successfully. I mean, I made money. It wasn't huge, but I made money. I was studying people. The poker table's fascinating. You look around. Who can afford to be in that game? Who can't afford to be in that game? Who's trying to bluff? Who doesn't know how to bluff? The games we're playing in life. And it became this comfort level to be at a poker table. Like a comfort level being in the circuit court. And I think the last thing I learned in Jersey that last year is that most people just aren't real. And when you're real, it's easy to get scarred. And Jerry Dowdy told me, be very careful who you let in. Because you are unique and your journey's going to be successful, but it's going to be painful along the way. And those stumbling blocks. How many people do you really want to know about that? Choose carefully. Life is one big draft. And as I was bartending and going in bizarre relationship to relationship and grinding on the LSAT and figuring out how to sell the condo to support Aunt Mary and Mom, and playing an insane amount of poker and studying for my first term. I just decided, fuck it. It's time. And when you get to that point when you decide you're going to make a change, when you've taken that deep breath, it's like, okay, let's just do it. Let's roll the dice. There's this level of anxiety. There's also this level of relief. I could finally be me. And when you're in that moment, you hit that high note, you gotta be careful you wanna share the recipe too. Atlantic City helped make me who I am. It also taught me so many lessons I did not need to learn. And I think those lessons that were not needed have destroyed so many of my peers. When I think back of that one girl and the lawyer she ended up with, there was a time in life when I would have said to myself, haha, look at me. I'm so much better than him. And you take a step back, and when you get to that point, you can really stick it up somebody's ass. You probably don't want to. The thing about revenge, timing sucks. Because when you get to that plateau, you sure don't care anymore. And you realize, hey, she's just a girl. He's just a guy. Jersey's just Jersey. Gambling. Condo. Aunt Mary and Mom. Bizarre relationships, the LSAT, Tropicana, and one day, you just pack everything you own into the car, make sure your loved ones are taken care of, and you hit that highway. So I'm really grateful for that last year of Atlantic City. It set the tone for so many things. But so many of those lessons I learned that last year were lessons I kept in silence. I don't know what you make of that. Alright guys, have a good holiday weekend.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.